it's Podcast 15. It's Podcast 15, Matt. That means only one thing. Well, it's the it's the roundup of 2016. The roundup. Roundup. Let's get back to space. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all mankind. Your hosts here in London, Matthew Russell and Jamie Franklin. I tell you what, Matt. Yeah. The Interplanetary Podcast. Putting the the ace back in space. I can't believe it's the end of 2016 and we're on podcast 15. 15, Jamie. We've done pretty well. We're only on 15, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way of looking at it. 15 is um, similar to the amount of stone that I put on over Christmas. (laughs) It's exactly where I am in stone. Give or take. Well, listeners, we hope you had a lovely holiday break. And uh, I hope you didn't eat as much camembert as I did. But we've got a great show for you lined up, haven't we, Well, yeah, we're we're just going to go through everything that's happened in 2016. It's the best of. Yeah, it's the best of, and I genuinely think this has been an absolutely amazing year for space. It really has. uh, And space flight. We're going to prove it. What was your favourite story of 2016, Jamie? (sighs) As much as my heart wants to say the pie kind of getting into space... (laughs) Um, I, it has to be my old mate Elon giving his keynote speech on on colonising Mars, I have to say. Well, How about you, Matt? I, well, I really like that, and I really like the fact that he named the spacecraft after our podcast. Yeah, that, I mean, that was, nice. that was a nice touch. But in retro, I think it's actually been a really bad year for SpaceX. I think, I think they've had a bit of a shocker. So yes. amongst all the bad news, I think um, that's certainly got to be Elon Musk's highlight, I would have thought. Absolutely, yeah. He's, uh, he's going to have to have a cracking 2017. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that 2017, the thing he's going to have to really sort some things out, isn't he? And, and it, it's a good one, isn't it, to start with Elon Musk? Because we certainly spent a lot of time on uh, mentioning Elon Musk and SpaceX. <laughs> we did. <laughs> but I think that's good. For all of those playing the, the Musk bingo game, uh, they're going to be pretty drunk already, I think. Yeah. So, but the good thing is, I mean, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and all the new space crew... Uh, these dot-com millionaires that, that have pumped their money into space have been one of the best things that have happened, really. And, Absolutely. Uh, and what I'm really hoping for is that next year he the Falcon 9 flies in January. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I've, I've just been looking at the Iridium uh, satellites that have been loaded into the fairing. So that all looks like it's going to happen. So hopefully that would be amazing if if Falcon 9 returns in January. That is ace. Yeah, uh, but I think that the real things that he needs to do, other than get back to flying normally on Falcon 9, is to, if he reflies a first stage, that's going to be unbelievable. Yeah. If he flies the Falcon Heavy, which I think, you know, that's going to be, A, breathtaking... And if if we were going to go to a rocket launch next year, it would be it would have to that be that would be one. the one, be wouldn't an it? Amazing yeah. one. Uh, they've released pictures of the um, interstage with the Falcon Heavy logo painted on it, so it's been. Oh, built. really? Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And I think they're the, the sort of biggest one for their in terms of finances is to get that commercial crew flight that we talked about a couple of podcasts Absolutely. ago. That that he has to do that in November, or yeah, or it's all a bit of a nightmare for him. So. So, uh, yeah, your Mars colonisation plans was your favourite... Uh, I think so. Yeah, it was, yeah. Cer- it was certainly the one that people took most interest in. If I, if I look yeah. at all the comments and tweets we got about the special that we did on that, that was certainly a, a big one. See, if you look at all the things that have happened, I mean, it's hard to know where to start. If you think about 
I mean, the detection of gravitational waves. Oh. I mean, that's insane. That's an insane one. Oh, uh, yeah, I mean... Let's... And one that <clears throat> didn't really get... I mean, it didn't get massive amounts. Of, we'd, we'd been talking about space in the press a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that nowadays you do get quite good coverage on mainstream websites about space. Not as much as you'd like, but, you know, that's because the public aren't as interested in it as they are, unfortunately, with, you know, X Factor or the latest Premiership game. <laughs> but, I mean, that's massive, isn't it? And landing rockets that you've launched, landing them back into the same spot, that's, I mean, that's unbelievable yeah so uh, back to elon musk he, he i mean yeah uh, actually for, for excitement i think the video of the onboard one of the uh, falcon 9 uh, boosters coming back down and landing on the barge at sea is yeah i think that's got to be the the, the film footage of the year that's absolutely yeah, that's incredible it's, um, it's amazing absolutely so yeah I, uh, you know after a couple of uh, mishaps at the beginning of the year he actually did manage to get those boosters landing on the barges, which, let's face it, is it's it's absolutely brilliant. And as I a, concur. and also, of course, he announced that he was going to send the Red Dragon, the crew capsule, but uh-huh. without crew, to to Mars as well this year. So that I think that's really exciting, and that's all part of it. That the fact that it's going to attempt the. Um, hypersonic retro propulsion he's going to yeah. try that and that's uh, to land on mars and nasa are going to give him a bit of money because they want the data on on how well that goes so mm. that that's going to be that's going to be one to look out for 2018 uh but absolutely. yeah i mean back to gravitational waves that that is absolutely brilliant of course europeans uh, had a, some involvement with that uh with their uh, lisa pathfinder that's right that was quite an early one for us. And uh, Lisa Pathfinder still out there in space oh, doing stuff. I mean, that. it's 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 a phenomenal piece of equipment. The Europeans should be very very proud of of uh, of what they've achieved. In fact, for Europe, it's been a phenomenal year out in space. It has been really has been. We've had Tim Peake. And we've had Thomas Pasquier uh-huh. up on the space station. Yeah. Both of whom, uh, well. Uh, Tim Peake has done a spacewalk, and Thomas Basquet is uh, preparing for his. Yeah, he's got one coming up. Yeah, and uh, Rosetta found the fillet lander out there as well. Absolutely. Uh, and we've, and of course, the, the crowning glory this year for the Europeans has been ExoMars. Yes. The trace gas orbiter has got into orbit around the red planet, and it all seems to be functioning fantastically well. Yeah. The Schiaparelli uh, lander, although it did. Uh, blow up in the on the planet it actually got something like 90 percent of the data that it was sent to collect anyway it's pretty remarkable considering you know what it went through yeah absolutely and they did so well in fact that uh, the funding has come for the second wave of the uh, exo mars mission excellent news the rover etc so yeah i mean so hopefully we'll see uh, the europeans drilling into mars in 2020 Awesome. Do you know what I also really enjoyed, Matt? Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed our chat about mining asteroids. Oh, yes, that was a great interview, wasn't it? I loved that. I mean, in terms of the podcast, what's your highlight with that? Well, I know what mine is. Go on. It's talking to Al Warden. That just goes without. That's obviously an yeah. massive highlight. But also Incred- talking to incredible. Gerhard of the Rosetta mission. You know, Absolutely. when I think how important that mission has been and how, how much it will tell us about the early solar system and yeah. science of the solar system 
I think it's absolutely incredible. And he was such a lovely bloke who wanted to spend time he was. talking to us. So, yeah, another brilliant interview. I really that was quite the day. Interview with David Baker. That was that was fantastic. Uh, we've got a really good interview coming up later on in the show. Yeah, with John Davis from the Initiative for Interstellar Studies. Awesome, uh, and that, which is which is brilliant. So yeah, we're, we're going to do more interviews in 2017. Hopefully, we'll get some absolutely get some absolute corkers. We're going to see how many. We're not stopping here. No. Matt. Well, let's let's see how many Apollo astronauts. <laughs> we can get. <laughs> we exactly. should. We should play Apollo astronaut bingo from now on. We need to double our figures for sure. Oh yeah, if we can, if we can, even if we do one Apollo astronaut a year, uh, <laughs> that'd be fine for me. That's, that's more than fine for me. I'd be happy with that. So yeah, if any, anyone wants us to help us get like a Buzz Aldrin interview, that would be awesome. Yeah, I mean, someone must have his email address. Yeah. Do you think it's just buzz at me dot com? <laughs> I hope so. Is it that simple? Yeah, I think it is. <laughs> Neil, Neil before me at Google <laughs> Mail dot com. That'd be good. Neil oh, before I'd love me that. at moon dot com. Oh, brilliant! Now, that'd be good. That if it, <laughs> it's worth a go, someone must have it. If not, I'm claiming it. No, yeah, I'm doing it now. I'm, I'm on the. I'm on the <laughs> <laughs> So, Matt, well, obviously there's so much that's happened this year. I think let's go through maybe in, uh, in short bursts about some of the stuff that's, that's, that's happened of note. OK. Where should we start? Well, we could quickly talk about some of the things that have been happening in space flight. Uh, for example, the Russians mm. obviously have opened up the Stochny Cosmodrome, yes. which I think is very interesting. Uh, and it was the first flight of their Soyuz 2.1A. It was. Uh, uh, also, the Chinese have been, I think, in terms of space flight, the Chinese... Well, oh, they've been the busiest, oh, haven't they? Oh, my gosh. It's unbelievable how busy they've been. So, the Chinese have developed the Long March 7, which is, an, you know, a very important part of their space flight programme. But they, yeah. at the same time, they also uh, have have opened up a spaceport called the Weng Chang Satellite Launch Centre on Hainan well. Island in the South China Sea. So, uh, of course. And also the maiden flight of the Long March 5. That's right. As well. So, you know, they've had two two families of new families of rockets taking off. Yeah, and incredible. One, and there's one, one newish rocket that took off as well, and that's the return of flight of the Antares rocket. Uh, but the 230 version featuring the Russian engine, the RD-181. So Antares has returned to flight, which is... Uh, Absolutely. Which is fantastic. Amazing. So Good work, Russia. Yeah, so I think in terms of flight, and let's have the tally up. And I, thanks to my Twitter, I, I, did, ask, I did ask people on Twitter wh- whether we should count the Europeanized so- Soyuz that, that take off from Kourou as... Um, as as Russian and the most of the Twitter verse agreed it yeah. should be Russian. So yes. the final tally goes like this. China twenty two launches, Europe nine, India seven, Israel one, Japan four, North Korea one, ooh, Russia nineteen, and the United States for the first time in my lifetime the United States have launched more rockets than Russia with 23. Whoa. So 23 states, 22 China, 
Russia nineteen. So there. Oh, I thought I thought China were gonna were gonna creep it. Just about. And you, I mean, <clears throat> how many failures do you think there were in the eighty six rockets launched worldwide? Oh, I mean, I'm going to say that there were ten failures. No, there were only three. Really? Only three. And one of those, so one of those was uh, the SpaceX uh, yeah. disaster on the launch pad on yeah. on uh, September the first. But amazingly, the uh, September the first is also the date, really, of the failure of the uh, Chinese Long March four C that also failed. Um, oh, it must be something in the air. Yeah, so it launched on, I believe, on the thirty first of August. But I think it actually the actual failure took place. On the first, just like the failure of the um, interesting of the Falcon Nine Amos Six disaster. Well, that's that's not a bad record, so, so is it? Really, the American and Chinese failures pretty much happened at exactly the same time, and exactly a quarter of a year later, on the first of December, the uh, that Russian Progress uh, vehicle failed to get up to the International Space Station and broke up, and uh, all the fragments were left lying around the uh, Siberia or wherever it was. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so they had to had to wait for their Christmas pudding. Yeah, so hopefully the saxophone, Thomas Pusket's uh, saxophone wasn't on that one. I'm still not established whether it was so. or not. <laughs> yeah, that must have made quite a noise as it was burning up in the atmosphere. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> what 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 rocket family do you think uh, launched the most? Long March. Long March. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. With 22. So every single Chinese rocket was a long march. But I can't help thinking that's cheating. (laughs) You reckon? Yeah. Whereas the Americans, uh, there was one Pegasus, which was brilliant. Still still love that launch. Yeah. Yeah, it's, It's the only one of that type that we saw. The Falcon, nine Falcon 9s. Uh, nine Falcon Nines. How uh, how appropriate. Check it out. Uh, four Deltas and eight yeah. Atlases, and nice. one Antares, as mentioned. So that's pretty cool, isn't it? So bringing up the rear, bringing up the rear in in there. So uh, that that was it for flights. And yeah. uh, you know, we were actually just a quick bit of news about some uh, the Long March uh, that took off last week that we mentioned. Oh uh, yeah, the very. I think it was probably the last. Is it going to be the? I think it probably is the last. Uh, flight rocket launch of the year, Long March 2D, uh, did manage to launch the two Superview satellites up into uh, orbit. However, their orbits are not anywhere near high enough, so there seems to have been a failure with the rocket there. But This uh, is correct. Yeah, but it looks like, according to Jonathan McDowell, that uh, uh, that they might be up there, they might all will be already burning fuel to get up to their correct orbits, the satellites themselves. So hopefully ah. they'll get into orbit. Well, let's keep our fingers crossed. Yes. Oh, Jamie, I, I'm I'm amazed that you haven't chosen this as your favourite story. Well, I mean, I was just about to say, it may be what you're about to say, um, and that's Scott Kelly returning to Earth after... A year in space. Oh, yeah. Now, that's a great story. And Which is another one of my favourites, because I love Scott Kelly. I think he's amazing. Yeah. And I think what he's done is amazing. I mean, 340 days in orbit. He finally came back in his Russian Soyuz capsule on March the 1st and uh, quickly threw himself into a pool in Houston. 
and announced his retirement from NASA a week and a half later. Um, but obviously, NASA sort of grabbed him and went, well, actually, you know, we still need to do uh, quite a lot of experiments <laughs> on you. You can't go quite yet, Scott. Yeah, but... Um, but what a legend. I mean, amazing. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, you know, he's had uh, several documentaries he's appeared in or been the sort of main focus of, and they've, yeah. you know, won, won awards all over the place. It's a very, very interesting story. So, yeah, Scott Kelly. But that wasn't the one. I still think, oh. if you're honest, I know what your favourite story of the year is. Oh, go on. It is got to be Proxima. Proxima B, oh, surely. How could I forget that? <laughs> See, that speaks volumes about how ace 2016 has been um, in terms of space travel. When we're clouding over that. Oh, no, exactly. So finding a planet, a habitable planet, possibly habitable planet, going round our nearest uh, stellar neighbour. I just think it's still, every time I think about it, I think... Oh, it's just incredible. It's really exciting, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I mean, there's a lot of people saying, oh, I wouldn't want to live there. It's <laughs> it's very near a very hostile star. Well, I, you know, do you know what? I don't think that star is that hostile anymore. I think that in the mm. first two and a half billion years of the star's cycle, it's it's very, very hostile. But I actually think that uh, they calmed down that, that type of star. I mean, uh, after that amount of time, you would have thought, you know, someone would chill out a little bit, wouldn't you? Yeah, exactly. You can you can only be an adolescent star for so long. Is it like when you've had too much to drink and and then, you know, you start to have a few glasses of water and you calm down a bit? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's totally like Similar. that. Similar. <laughs> <laughs> it's exactly like that. Oh, well, I mean, look, we haven't we haven't mentioned Virgin Virgin Galactic have managed to get the VSS Unity up and tested that's and that's flying yeah we haven't mentioned uh nasa sending the first inflatable habitat oh to space. my gosh that's beam yes the uh Bigelow yeah. beam uh which is well i mean that's that's just brilliant i mean that could open up space in so many star shot oh my god breakthrough star shot um actually yeah in our interview they'll um with john davis there's there's a little bit about star shot breakthrough star shot nice but yeah i mean breakthrough star shot's incredibly exciting that was announced this year Absolutely. Um, so yes, Stephen Hawking and Yuri Milner, wasn't it? So Yuri Milner pumping in lots of money for to, to have a look at getting these wafer thin spacecraft out into wafer thin. You're wafer thin. <laughs> We've been down this route before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's stop there. So uh, what else haven't we mentioned? Uh, I tell you what. Um, I tell you who doesn't get anywhere near enough mention on our show compared to Who's Elon that? Musk. And that's Jeff Bezos and Blue Origin. Oh, yeah, Jeff. Yeah, that's true. Because... That is true. Yeah, because, you know, he he's done some phenomenal things this year. For example, he has reused a booster several times. Yeah, that's true. I mean, incredible stuff. So that stuff. new Shepard... I think, I think he was viewed a bit like the Pepsi compared to the Coke. Yeah. You know? But, you know, he may, he may turn out to be the, the king. Well, I mean, you know... It, it was the choice for a new generation, so... Exactly. So he's... Uh, so the new Shepard was the vehicle that he has been using, obviously named after Shepard, the uh, first American in space. Uh, yeah. But, and then the next uh, one was the new Glenn, named after the first American to orbit the Earth, who sadly Absolutely. passed away a, a, a couple of weeks ago. Big respect. So big respect. So we lost, obviously, quite a, uh, a few important people. This week, sadly, since the last podcast, um, we did lose the third British person ever in space. 
uh, although he, he only ever flew as an American, uh, Piers Sellers, dedicated to uh, exploration and uh, and understanding the planet. I wonder if he Agreed. probably considered himself a man of the planet rather than any one location. And he re- absolutely go and read about Piers Sellers because he's a phenomenal person who basically has dedicated his entire life to science and uh, discovery. And uh, he really is one of those people that 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 is such a so sad that he's died quite young as well. So, here, here, tip of the cap, sir. Amazing work. Something else we haven't mentioned, Matt. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the uh, it's the James Webb Telescope. Oh yes, the, yeah, that is yeah. interesting, isn't it? So the James Webb Telescope, the they, telescope portion completed. Yeah, so that yeah, the actual telescope itself has been completed. They've been vibrating it a lot, and there's been some anomalies apparently, but I think they're getting on okay with developing that. And 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 again, it's <laughs> that's a 2018 launch, isn't it? So absolutely, and I still think it's one of well. your it was your it was one of your favourite photos, wasn't it? Oh, that I, we I, put on the blog. I tell you what, was the pictures of the 18 hexagonals yeah I, I, I still think actually if you go to any of the photos of the james webb telescope they're, they're phenomenal yeah <laughs> it's like it's such an amazing piece of gear i mean i can't believe how stressful quite, it's going to be quite a bit of kit when it goes on the ariane yeah imagine that but then saying that ariane have done, now done 75 launches in a row all successful so that's so let's hope that continues let's hope that continues i'm still you wouldn't want to be the one to to press the button on that i know i'm still i'm i'm stressed about it now and i've got and i didn't (laughs) even build it (laughs) matt don't do it you'll give yourself a stroke oh i tell you one mission that deserves which isn't unlike you no 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 i tell you one mission that deserves mentioning well two go on there's two nasa missions that i think are their kind of been brilliant missions this year oh yeah and that's the osiris rex mission taking off yes. on atlas five uh so osiris rex is going to go to an asteroid called bennu yes uh and that that's going to be really really exciting but it doesn't get there until 2020 so <laughs> so mm. we probably won't hear much about that particular spacecraft uh, apart from after it's done its slingshots and all those kind of things and they wake Absolutely. it up and it has to go over yeah uh, but uh, the the mission that's currently doing really well is the Juno New Horizons. Mission. No, not New Horizons. But New Horizons oh. is definitely worth. <laughs> we should definitely yeah. really mention New. In fact, let's do New Horizons first. Then let's do that. So New Horizons. Obviously, uh, it's one thing that it uh, it did was fly past Pluto. Pluto. Uh, but that was a couple of years ago. But New New Horizons has carried on all all the data that was on some really slow data transmission, where hmm. was finally uh, captured in October of this year, I think, all of it back. So that's going to be thousands and thousands and thousands of scientific papers just from that data set alone. Yeah, absolutely. And, it's been, and some of the discoveries have been phenomenal, just like the amount of water that seems to be on Pluto is yeah. very, very, very exciting. Absolutely. But that's now yeah. being re, reprogrammed to go off to another body in the Kuiper belt. So that should be really exciting when it gets there. Uh, round about uh, January the 1st, 2019. So I love that <laughs> Kuiper belt. Sounds like something from uh, Superman or something. Yeah, where are you from? I'm from the Kuiper belt. I'm wearing my Kuiper belt. <laughs> oh, you're yeah. wearing your Kuiper belt. Oh, okay. it's something I'd expect Clark Kent to wear, definitely. Oh, yeah, I might get... Oh, do you know what? I might get a belt and have Kuiper written on it, and someone says, I think you that? should do it's that. Kuiper belt. It's a new business opportunity. It's holding my asteroids in. 60-40. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. dear. Oh, dear. 
Um, but um, part of that was Dawn, of course, one of, another massively successful spacecraft, uh, Dawn, yeah. uh, that's been orbiting the dwarf planet of Ceres uh, in yeah. the asteroid belt. Uh, that had a chance that it could go off uh, to um, go to another asteroid. I think the asteroid mm. was going to be called Adiona. Uh, but instead, they've kept it at Ceres just to keep circling around and do science. And the science coming off Ceres is unbelievable as well. The amount mm. of water that they found there is actually quite jaw-dropping. So, again, Ceres which makes up a third of the asteroid belt's weight. <laughs> and it's yeah, the, uh, and it's the, it's the only body that I think is uh, considered a dwarf planet and an asteroid yeah. at the same time, although yeah. it really is a dwarf planet. It's the smallest body that's able to make itself round from its own gravity. Absolutely. But it's still a third of the... You know, it's still an enormous uh, body out there in, in the solar system. And, um, yeah, so... Uh, Dawn has been kept there, and Dawn is really successful because it's it's used um, uh, ion propulsion to get there, and, and it's been highly successful. How that it has, how, how Matt? Have we mentioned used. Juno going no, around well, Jupiter? Yeah. That that was the one I was going to mention when you brought up New Horizons. But Juno, yeah, yeah and so Juno, fantastically successful. Amazing. To get Some it. of those photos are, were blowing my mind. Yeah, so it's had a few. Uh, technical hitches, but nothing that they haven't been able to sort out. So uh, the very first orbit that it did, it went into safety mode. I think uh, actually, when I saw the uh, <clears throat> I saw the images of the red aurora on mm-hmm. Jupiter's south pole. I mean, I, I honestly don't think I've seen a more beautiful space image than yeah. that. For yeah, me, yeah. that was like that just blew my mind. Oh, there's 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 going to be enormously brilliant science from the Juno space probe. I think it's going to go down as one of as, as one of the classics, <laughs> just like the keyboard. But, uh, do you know what? That's all that happened this year. Not not particularly much, was it? Really? That's it. Yeah, yeah. Not much to talk about at all. I, I tell you what, we'd like to know is we'd like to know your favourite. What was your favourite story? Not just maybe stuff that you know we've waxed lyrical about but what was the story that gave you the biggest buzz in 2016 tweet in or send us an email matt where can people go they can i would say the best place to go is www.interplanetary.org.uk and from there you can see the twitter the blog the instagram where it's all there we should talk about the planets that have been discovered this year we should talk about the planets where do we start we've done proxima b which, are, which, which yeah. is just phenomenal. But one of the sort of really big science stories that could turn out to be a beauty is Planet Nine. Planet Nine, of course. Somewhere in the Kuiper Belt. As soon as we imagine the point where we can go out and photograph this thing or point Hubble oh. to get some grainy image, it'll be amazing. It um, will be amazing. Uh, there's 1,284 new exoplanets. <laughs> yeah, to be added to the list, just one or two. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, that, that's pretty good. And that was in, that's just in May that scientists found all. Oh. Uh, and Insane. Kepler sixteen thirty eight and Kepler twelve two nine b are the yeah. uh, most Earth like planets found. They've discovered a rogue planet, a giant alien planet that was found orbiting 600 million miles from its host star. I love the, I love the word rogue. It just yeah, it, it exactly. kind of... Out of control. Yeah, it's like, a, it's like a kind of naughty teenager, you know? Or a petty <laughs> thief. Mm. 
planets found around um, binary star systems and uh, and even star systems that have three stars in there. So planets orbiting multiple stars. I mean, it really is amazing, isn't it? I'd like to see a 3D map of it all, Matt. <laughs> if you could just knock one up between oh, yeah, now no, and New I'm, Year, I'm, that'd I'm be totally great. Gonna, you, you know, and I know I'm going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think we've had an amazing year in space. And hopefully we really 2017 have. will be equally as epic uh, and it's definitely going to be i've got a good feeling it's about definitely it. going to be more epic for the interplanetary podcast we're, we're going to we're going to go it out really and we're going will to be. be super epic oh do you know actually i'm going to t- there's one there's one thing i did get a little bit sad about and that go was on. the japan's we talked about this very early on was japan's Hitomi oh, satellite that broke up in space yeah but you know what let's not end on a negative note i think japan next year are going to smash it out of the park. Yeah, absolutely. And when I say smash, I don't mean break up. Yeah. I mean it's not going to break up. I think there's a lot of there's a lot of um there's a lot of countries in the space race now and I think that's a great thing. It really is a great Just thing. Just one thing, Jamie. I saw a cartoon by ESA of the entire Rosetta mission. Oh yeah. And I have to say it's it's absolutely awesome. You you have to watch it. I need to check it's it out. So it's so good. It's just it's like a sort of cartoon of of Rosetta doing all her work and dropping little fillet. Oh, it's just amazing. And the fact that Rosetta managed to take a picture of fillet on the ground. Yeah, it's and it's just it's really it's, it's such incredible, isn't it? If you think about the feet, <laughs> yeah. I mean, just oh, there's only one thing that we need to talk about. What's Jamie, that? Which I think is massive, is the first private mission to the moon being approved by the FAA. Absolutely, I mean, which, which the Federal Aviation Administration amazing result. Uh, Gave yeah well gave Moon Express approval to land on the moon so that's a contender for the Lunar X Prize. Moon Express is aiming to send its MX One lander to the lunar surface incredible. before the end of two thousand and seventeen. So that will be incredible this year if we have a private mission to the moon this year. Well, in two thousand and seventeen, it will be absolutely awesome. Well, it will pave the way. Yes. That's re- that's been a really brilliant uh, little. Uh, well, we'll see if the Google Lunar X Prize really turns out to be this fantastic um, shot in the arm for uh, commercial space. And hopefully, Lunar Mission One will be you know pick up on that and uh, and 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 go off. Absolutely. As we spoke to David last week, which was very exciting as well. In fact, anyone who hasn't needs to check out uh, George Russell's uh, the uh, the person who announces the show at the beginning his uh, Kerbal space landing of Lunar Mission 1 on the moon yeah 2016 should be considered the year of Kerbal space program as well, well anyone who hasn't checked it out should check it out oh actually we should have mentioned the uh, Jap- uh, the Chinese space station ah yes 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 yeah so yeah the Chinese uh, launched its uh, Changong 2 space station it did that then led to the, their longest human space flight yet which, which was how long, Matt? Uh, one month. It was one month they spent. Nice. So that's Jing Haibeng and Cheng Dong spent one month aboard the brand new Changong 2. Good work, China. I yeah. expect to see excellent things from you next Absolutely. year. Absolutely. And, of course, there's. I keep seeing this rumour going around the internet that um, they took up an EM drive up into the uh, up onto the Changong 2. 
uh, and right. and the rumor that uh, Ch- uh, the EM drives also on the X37B as well. Uh, and of course, that that really is a big piece of news. It might pan out to be an enormous piece of news, but at the moment yeah. we're very cynical about it. But the EM drive being tested by NASA Eagle Works and peer reviewed to say actually, yeah, that there seems to be. It seems to work. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I mean, let's just so, keep our fingers crossed for that one as well. We were really, really lucky last week when we went to the British Interplanetary Society uh, to... We were indeed, Matt. What happened? Well, we uh, not only did we interview David Iron there, but we also interviewed a chap called John Davis, who's from the Initiative for Interstellar Studies, or I4IS. Yeah. Uh, and this is that interview, and it's very, very interesting. Enjoy yourself. Écoutez. Listen up. So here we are. We're joined by uh, John Davis from the Initiative for Interstellar Studies. That's it. Yeah. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Okay. At the BIS, and of course, you do have a strong connection to the BIS as a. Yeah, we're a sort of little brother of the BIS, really. Yeah. I mean, all the all the principals in it are all long-term BIS members. When was it set up? It was set up in 2012, late 2012. I joined about a month or two into um, its existence. It was incorporated as a not-for-profit company in the UK in. 2014. Mm-hmm. It's based here. I mean, it's it's its legal address is actually in At this office. RTC Clark, actually, um, mm. Yeah. The, the main purpose of its existence is what? I mean, it probably says it in the title. It says it says it really. I mean, it, it's it's intended to research and promote the possibilities for for interstellar travel. I think it's fair to say it's it's part of the third wave of serious interstellar studies. Les Shepard's papers in the red cover issues of the Journal of the British Interplanetary Society in the early fifties were the first mm-hmm. wave, really. Uh, the second wave was was the uh, Alan Bond and Tony Martin team who did the Daedalus study. Mm-hmm. Have you seen the model of that? I have seen the model of the yeah. Daedalus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's fantastic. Fantastic. Well, the guy who built it is is a uh, long-time member of uh, I4IS, uh, Terry Reagan. We're a fairly varied bunch, actually. <laughs> Terry's a truck mechanic. I'm a, I'm a retired uh, computing guy. Kelvin Long, who's our exec director, is a, a physicist and, and engineer. His co-founder, Rob Swinney, is a scientist and engineer, a former teacher, former squadron leader, RAF engineering officer. Andreas Hines, uh, the youngest of the of the of the senior team, um, he's just finished his PhD at Technical University of Munich. That's a pretty strong lineup, pretty right strong. there. <laughs> yeah. What's the biggest hurdle for interstellar travel in particular? Is the it distance. is it a cultural or is it a, the distance or is it a technical? <laughs> yeah, but well, in, in terms of yeah, the, I mean the distance it's is obviously distance. preposterous. Yes, the distance, <laughs> I mean, is, yeah. the distance is very challenging. Yeah. But then so was travel to the outer solar system yeah. until slingshot orbits. Right. Because uh, with chemical propellants, it actually was extremely difficult to reach the outer planets. Yeah, I mean, um, still, still, I can, I can drone on endlessly about Sarkovsky's rocket equation. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> one, well, one of my favourite, one of my favourite ever things that I've ever heard about the rocket equation and interstellar flight. That if you wanted to do with with rocket propellants, if you wanted to do a interstellar flight in a human lifetime, you'd need a fuel tank the size of the observable universe, which I always think, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which kind of puts it into perspective. Just a yes, drop or yeah, two. Yes. Well, I've not I'd not heard that one, but yeah, so I wouldn't be surprised. And to reach significant distances interstellar to get out properly into the into the hmm. cloud where the long period comets come from, and certainly to reach the nearest stars, you need massive energy. The rocket equation is not your friend. An engineer astronaut wrote a, a piece that's on on somewhere on the NASA website, and the subject is the tyranny of the equation. <laughs> 
Oh, um, that's up, yeah. So we, we've, we've got a number of things we do. Obviously, we do advocacy. Mm. You know, we, we, we bang the drum for, for Interstellar. That's sort of intrinsic, really, in what we do. But the other two main activities are R&D and education and academic and that goes all the way from a little bit of work we've done in primary schools, a lot we've done in secondary schools and a lot we've done at the university level as well, quite a lot of which is with the International Space University in Strasbourg. Yeah. Chris Welch who's the prof there, uh, looks after the, the master's programme, is a, a good friend, he's on our, on our advisory he, He's committee. also a fellow of the... Oh he's an FBIS, yeah, yeah. As, I, as I am in fact. Um, I've been a member of the BIS for a very long time. I was talking about the, the R&D things we've done. I mean, Dragonfly was, as I said, was a CubeSat-sized thing. And in uh, March of this year, Kevin Long, who's our exec director and one of the two founders, was at NASA Ames, and, mm. and he bumped into the uh, Breakthrough Starshot team, who hadn't actually announced Breakthrough Starshot at that point. It was, it, was, um, it was a month or two later. I can't remember the exact dates, but around about that time, Kelvin obviously showed that he and his team had you know, a fair degree of competence in, in the subject. We were asked to, to do a design study. The deadline was three days. Oh, nice. It's in the last issue of Principium, which is our quarterly. Um, there's a piece all about this. Yeah. It's subtitled, How to Design a Starship in Three Days. So we got everybody together, you know, electronically, obviously, because there's people in Germany and France yeah. and USA and UK and scattered all over the UK as well, not just um, in one place. Um, I had a minor part in that. I did a bit of checking of things like communications calculations, but it, it, it was mainly the real experts of yeah. whom, you know, there's about half a dozen who were the real top guys in the subject, including people like uh, like Kelvin and Andreas Hine, and produced a, a study for a, for a, a spacecraft of, of, of only a few grams. You know, instead of being a, a few kilos, as in the case of the Dragonfly design, and this this one was called Andromeda, and I think it was uh, 23 grams of lighter, more like the Starshot idea. Yeah. So a spacecraft that if you point an extremely powerful laser at it or a in practice, old bank of them can actually accelerate up to, um, in the case of Starshot, twenty percent of the speed of light. Whereas Daedalus is much more modest yeah. in terms of its of its. Uh, what was the What was the main difference between Andromeda and Breakthrough Starshot, or is then? Um, I, I I think really that that I mean this is not official, and, yeah. and you know we're we're um, we're a separate entity from Breakthrough Starshot, even though we've worked with them pretty much since the beginning. It was just a design study, very quickly yeah. done. I, I think. To a large extent, to, to, to prove our capabilities, which I yeah. think we did. I did read it, and I, I really like the. Um, you read the, the Principia yeah, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, the, and yeah. I, I really like the way that the uh, camera expands out of the tiny little chip and, mm-hmm. and things like that. It's, yeah. it's quite, it's quite, it's quite cool. I mean, we, we covered on the last podcast the way that these tiny little wafer thin chips that are being blasted out into space have to essentially be able to self-repair as well mm. Mm. so which I thought was really, a sort of really interesting aspect. Well it, I think there's about a dozen serious challenges identified for Starshot uh, and clearly I mean Starshot is way short of his hundred million hundred million dollars and that's only starting money really yeah. you know I mean a three-day study is is interesting yeah you know, as a demonstration of capabilities and sort of scope the problem but you'd have to talk to Kelvin or Andreas or one of the other yeah. brain boxes to, to, to hear the to, details but I think it's widely agreed. There are people who are sceptical about a very, very light spacecraft and laser push, and there are reasons for that. But there is not much dispute that if we're going to get anything to the nearest stars within something like the lifetime of people 
mm. living now. Very lightweight spacecraft, laser pushed. Looks like the only option that's feasible in that time scale. I mean, I, I quite like the look of laser propelled spacecraft for just solar system work. It seems to be quite a, a good way of pushing things very quickly around just to have a look at things in the solar system. Yeah. I think there are attractions to that. And at least you can um, test the technology a little yeah, bit. Yeah, and, and, and the great benefit from the interstellar point of view is, is that it gives you a, a, a test bed. You know, you, you, uh, you aren't committing to quite such... You know, if you, if you want to get to, say, Pluto, imagine if you, if you could uh, whack up to 20% of C... Yeah. You know, then you could get your spacecraft to Pluto in a matter of a few days. Yeah. Mm. You know, even if you only went to two percent of C, then yeah. then you'd be able to get there in a couple of months. For example, you discover planet, I mean, this this planet this, nine. this yeah. possible planet nine. Yes, you might think, well, if we've got the technology sort of under development for doing laser push to interstellar distances, then you could send an investigatory mission to 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 planet nine once its orbit's actually been figured out uh, and get there relatively quickly and that would be an interesting test perhaps yeah because at the moment to get to planet nine if if we've worked out where it might be Mm. it might take you what 15 16 years well yeah yeah Yeah, it took what was it 11 years for for new horizons to get to pluto yeah Yeah. Um, i mean what were your initial thoughts when you heard about proxima b in terms of how my thoughts yeah what was the first things shooting around uh, i think my personal thought was it's very close to a rather dodgy star that has, has some <laughs> rather erratic properties about it. Mm. <laughs> uh, and therefore, probably not somewhere I'd want to move to. Mind you, I mean, it, it could it, it still could be nicer than Mars's. Uh, I mean, unlikely, actually, isn't it? I, suppose. Mm, I don't know. The sun's fairly benign. Lesser of two if eagles. You, if, you could, if you could give Mars a, a, an atmosphere and, and better still, a, uh, some Van Allen belts, then uh, it would be fine. <laughs> those are those are difficult things to build, though. Yeah, I was going to say. We've, we've... Even Ken Stanley Robinson has difficulty with that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the, but to get back to practical stuff, the yeah. the, the third project that's that's uh, now in progress with uh, I4IS is what we call Glowworm. Yeah. And there's a website, Project Glowworm, and it's yeah. Glowworm with two W's in the middle. So projectglowworm.com. The idea there is to do something in the very near future uh, using basically CubeSat technology to put a, a grand size uh, spacecraft into orbit deployed from a CubeSat and put a laser at it to just demonstrate and test what, what you can do with, with laser push. And the, and the objective is to, is to do the first um, in-space test of laser push. And we've got a, a funding thing going. We're aiming for €50,000, and we're doing reasonably well. We still need quite a, li- quite a bit more, but... Um, uh, so is, that ki- is that a Kickstarter campaign? No, or? it isn't actually. We we did we did use Kickstarter to, mm. to um, fund the, the in particular the, the, the student teams coming to to here yeah. for uh, for Project Dragonfly, and that was quite successful. I mean, we exceeded our target, and we got some good contributions. I mean, one of my computing heroes, Vince Cerf, uh, was one of the major donors to that. Right. Um, yeah, so we did do that with Kickstarter. The funding that we're doing with Glowworm is we're doing directly into the I4IS uh, right. account. So if anybody listening wants to donate, where could they go? They, the go, they go to projectglowworm.com. Okay. And don't forget it's two W's in the middle. It's two glow W's. Worm, rather but it's all one glow word. Worm. Get your checkbooks yeah. out. <laughs> <laughs> Pro, yeah. So all one word, project, projectglowworm.com. Yeah, is, this, is, is this the sort of project that people like the Breakthrough Starshot 
people would be sort of looking at with interest, or is it? Because it seems to me that you're you're doing a little bit of the legwork for them in terms of. Oh, I think a lot of people are. You know, we're probably one of the more prominent people doing the legwork. Frankly, being not near to a lot of uh, uh, American money, we're we're probably one of the one of the poorer ones. Quite strongly associated with Starshop, uh, Kelvin, our chief exec, is is on the uh, advisory committee along with a guy called Greg Matloff. Yeah. who uh, wrote um, with another guy whose name escapes me uh, a thing called the Starflight Handbook, which is about 20 years old. It's the orig- It's the first book that I'm aware of that actually seriously considered how you might manage um, interstellar travel. Uh, he's a retired prof from uh, New York. He's on both our own advisory panel and, and, the, and the breakthrough Starshot one, as is uh, Freeman Dyson, right, rather more famous in yeah. terms of, mm. of uh, um, uh, than any of us, really. He's in his <laughs> 90s now. He's still still batting. Amazing guy. Amazing. Yeah. So he he got involved with uh, initiative for interstellar studies in the early days, and he was actually there for the launch of Breakthrough Starshot. Uh, he must have been the oldest person there, probably by some distance. Yeah. Both of those people are are involved in 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 both both our work and in and the, in, in Breakthrough Starshot. Yeah. So it's all looking quite promising. There's there's a there's a there's a definite wave there. Yeah. And and the money that Yuri Milner's put into it is has has really boosted things up. I mean, what the the uh, the various dot com billionaires have done in all sorts of technological areas, but especially space, is, is has been a real shot in the arm. You know, I'm an old space fan. My first job was in was in space technology, as I was saying earlier. So this is, this is all great stuff. Yeah. The other thing that I do, um, I mean, I do edit. Principium the quarterly as well. Also available on i4is.org. It's on iFoot. It's definitely one of my favorite. It's definitely one of my favorite reads. I mean, yeah. often yeah. have some really good. Thank you. Articles. Glad you like it. Yeah. Yeah. We've got it on a good solid uh, quarterly um, schedule now, and we've got we've had some really interesting stuff actually. And then the next issue is due in February, and we've got some good stuff lined up already. The educational stuff we do, we've done. Uh, work with a number of universities, but most notably the International Space University in Strasbourg, which I mentioned earlier. And a number of our uh, experts have supervised master's projects at the ISU. That includes Kelvin, Rob Swinney, Andrea Sine, I think one or two others as well. Angelo Genovese, who's a, who's a uh, propulsion engineer, he works for Thales Deutschland. He works for a French company, the German branch of a French company, and he's an Italian, so. That's pretty continental. Yeah. Um, what did he yeah, think so, of Brexit? So I think yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> Let's not get into politics. <laughs> um, that that uh, master supervision has been has been going on for uh, for some time. One thing that you do here is the Starship Engineer course. Yeah, are you, are you, think, yeah. Are you doing any more of those? Yeah, well, we did the second one um, uh, back in November. Yeah. Uh, so it's a two-day course. It's aimed at people with a reasonable maths and physics background, but you know, you don't need a PhD in astrophysics, or you know, if you've got decent GCSE maths and physics and that sort of thing, then then you know you can you can do it. And basically, the idea is to introduce people to the concepts that you need, and um, primarily around the two uh, uh, main ways of doing it short term, but also touching on some of the others, and also looking at science fiction ideas as well. That's yeah. another major component of it, and that's something that that. Um, I think all of us have, have, have been influenced by it to some extent. I mean, we're in Arthur C. Clarke House, yeah. you know, mm. and, you know, one of the greatest science fiction writers of the 20th century. Well, I mean, science fiction has been one of the sort of big pushers of 
all technology that you see around you. I've, I noticed that uh, the tricorder X Prize has just <laughs> is, is is almost come to fruition. Right. They've, they've almost just about to sort of release. Yes. And you think, yeah, that that all those elements actually of. Mm science fiction, particularly that sort of fi- that big 40s, 50s, 60s kind of I, vision, I, don't, think, I don't think Scotty's going to be able to beam you aboard in any time. Yeah, when's that going to happen? Oh, yeah, the, the, oh, I love yeah, that. Teleport, <laughs> teleporting is, is the big one. I mean, well, te- teleporting really is the big one. Yeah. <laughs> that, that? Well, funnily yeah. enough, there was a piece, a, a piece I, I wrote myself. I've taken a bit of interest in, in uh, philosophy and in particular uh, philosophy of mind. And I did some research and wrote a couple of pieces for, for Principium about the possibility of, of sending basically electronic persons. Hmm. Because, of course, uh, once, once you've achieved, in effect, well, you know, what has been called a singularity hmm. in, in that sense, not in the astronomical sense, yeah. then assuming that you can regard those people as, as persons, yeah. you know, if you accept uh, um, Alan Turing's polite convention that if it talks like a person and it acts like a person, then you must treat it as a person. Yeah. That sort of person um, can travel at speed of light. Of course. Yeah, well, I, saw, I, I read a brilliant book by an author called Rudy Rucker. I don't know if you're aware. Oh yes, of it. no. And yeah. uh, he he deals with those philosophical points about uh, about what it is to be a human when you're broken down into the singularity. Really, yes. Yes. really amazingly well. Yeah, there's a, there's a, um, an Australian writer who's also dealt with it. Um, who's possibly even more of a uh, technical geek than Rudy Rucker, and I've forgotten the guy's name. <laughs> Anyway, you th- well, if you think about it, because <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely the, the Rudy Rucker one. Even though his books sort of veer all over the place, that mm. they, not only bringing people back to life, all the information that made them them, but you can bring people that didn't exist into existence. And mm. I thought oh, that's a really brilliant concept. Mm. <laughs> yeah, that's a quote. To get back to the education stuff, yeah, we do the Starship Engineer thing. We've done that twice now, and we'll we'll we will be doing it next year. We do the work with with ISU. In particular, this year we did a, um, a two-week elective on interstellar studies for those master students. A whole bunch of us went over there for, for two weeks and presented a whole series of modules to them on, on um, various aspects of interstellar studies, uh, including some fairly heavy um, physics and engineering, and also some broader stuff as well. And out of that, one of the one small part of that was an exercise on confronting the problem, getting the students to to work in teams to to confront. Now, remember, these are postgraduate students, although not all of them in STEM subjects. I saw that, and I I, I thought we can make it a bit simpler, and we can do the same thing with school teams. So I got together with with a really uh, very active, brilliant woman called Asia Hassan at STEM Learning in London. Um, and we put together this Interstellar Challenge for London Schools and we, and we held it, it's about three, four weeks ago, at Imperial College. The outreach department at Imperial College supported us and, and, and got us the room and they were, they were really helpful. And the BIS as well. And the, the, the Imperial College chapter of uh, Students for the Exploration and Development of Space, ICSEDS. ICSEDS are one of the most active branches, as you can imagine, yeah. being Imperial College. And, and they pitched in as well. And it was really good, actually. It was a very successful day. So we'll be running that again, and we do quite a lot of schools outreach too, mostly secondary, but but not all. Um, and what about the Alpha Centauri Prize? Can you talk us through that? It's it's a relatively informal thing. Uh, the idea is to to basically hang a gong on somebody when they've they've done something um, striking right. in in this field. Yeah, there's a there's a whole series of things we do in in that area. I'm probably missing. Quite a lot. Well, the other thing I forgot to mention is Axiom, which, which is is a, uh, 
more of an educational publication, right? Uh, which is a, uh, principally a paper publication at the mm. moment. Um, Principium is a, is a PDF that you can just download. But Axiom is is uh, we publish through through um, a print on demand publisher called Lulu, right? And that includes much heavier papers than than anything that's in Principium, than most, certainly than most things in Principium. Sure, it's it's more of a, an educational survey type uh, journal. Rather, it's not really uh, trying to be anything like the Journal of the British Diplomatic Society, which is one of the premier uh, you know, properly. Uh, peer-reviewed academic publications mm. in, in, in uh, space technology in mm. general. And, of course, Kelvin used to be editor of that up to sure. a few months ago. He was for several years. So, yeah, how, how, how do you get Axiom? Is it, is it something... You, do, you just go to the Lulu website and, and, and order it, and they deliver it, and then it just pops through your letterbox, basically. Okay. And it's what sort of when you say educational, is it for students or is it scientific papers, but not at the level of JBS? It, it's it's aimed at a, I think a relatively broad audience with me at the moment. But uh, just just look at the topics that they're, they're, they're listed. I think Kelvin's written one or two papers himself. Other name that springs immediately to mind is Rachel Armstrong, who's the prof of experimental architecture at Newcastle University. And, you know, she writes stuff about living starships and how you might apply the lessons there to, to um, buildings on Earth. Uh, I talked about the Solkovsky equation and the, yeah. and the tyranny of the equation. Um, and in the work I'm, I've been doing in schools, it, it, it struck me a few years back that I was dealing quite a lot, a lot with, uh, typically with year 10, year 9, which is um, sort of like 13, 14 yeah. age group. In the UK, you don't do calculus unless you study maths at A-level. Mm. So... Anything that's calculus-related is inaccessible to to, uh, to the majority of school students. However, they are familiar with, with um, if they do anything remotely scientific, really, it's pretty universal that they, they learn um, Newton's laws, and in particular the second law, force equals the mass times acceleration. Mm. And Sarkovsky's equation is derived just from that. You know, it's a straight derivation, yeah. but you need calculus to divide it, to, to, to derive it. You can show them the equation, and you can show them Newton's second law, and, and they say, well... How do you get from one to the I other? Say, yeah, how do you get from one to the <laughs> yeah. other? And it struck me that, that um, one of the standard dirty tricks that, that um, applied mathematicians and physicists and engineers uh, use when, when they're confronted with a problem like that, sometimes because something like the three-body problem, where, yeah. where, where there, are, there are analytical solutions are, are uh, somewhat elusive any, anyway, um, is you apply a, a, um, a numerical approach... And it struck me that um, you could do that with a spreadsheet right. and that you could effectively produce the identical result to Sarkovsky's equation but only use a, um, Newton's second law directly and, and do it incrementally. You know, you, you fire um, one gram or one tonne of propellant out the back um, and you end up with 99 tonnes and then you fire another one out the back and 98 tonnes. Yeah, yes, yeah. and you just iterate through the spreadsheet yeah. And the curve you get is is the log natural curve is Sarkovsky's equation's curve, and it, right. it, the result is the same. So I've introduced that to a number of schools. I, I even ran through it at a, uh, a UK national EasterCon science annual science fiction convention as well. People turned up in quite large numbers on a Sunday morning to hear about wow. <laughs> how to do Sarkovsky wow. with the If you can get people to look at spreadsheets, you're doing ten well. o'clock on a Sunday <laughs> and morning, get them out on a Sunday, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think I've seen a few light bulb moments, particularly uh, in those school I mean, school li- context. I like that because it also shows you how calculus works anyway. 
that if you yes. that it, you can yes. kind of understand calculus better so if if you go through those iterative methods to mm. to work out stuff. Mm. So I don't I, <laughs> what I what I do is is I do a sort of arm waving derivation using calculus. Yeah. And say you know this is what you do and you plug in the, these you know here's the standard formula you know the indefinite integral I don't use that phrase but that's what it is and say ah but use the example of, of, of things like the three-body problem and say and, and stuff like uh, weather prediction. Yeah. You know, there, there isn't an equation that says pl- you can plug the numbers in yeah. and is it going to rain tomorrow? There's, there's, there's a name for that type. Of, there's a name for that type of. There's a name for that type of problem, isn't there? Because the travelling salesman is one of them, isn't it? Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there the are N, problems. The that, NP plus one. Problem yeah, yeah. There, there are there are problems that are are, are, are inherently insoluble um, without quantum computers. Uh, that, well, that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, all that, all that does is spread things up. I mean, that's that's. Uh, there are some things that are are, are literally uh, insoluble in the general case. I mean, yeah. I think I think three body problem. I, I'm not an expert on it by any means, but that there are a number of special cases where it, where there is an analytical solution. But I, I, I don't think still. I don't know whether it's been proved that it's that it's that it's impossible. But certainly, there is no general solution to the three body problem. I, th- I think they're my favourite proofs. The proofs that something can be proved, yeah. but not actually the proof that it. Yeah, yeah, Mathematical navel gazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that 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 was quite interesting, and and, and actually, I, I ought to acknowledge uh, Rob Swinney got hold of that spreadsheet solution for Sarkovsky. Unknown to me, he sent it off to a guy called Robert Freeland, who's one of the team leaders for, for one of the Icarus project. Um, and he's working on a, on a, a fusion-based uh, yeah. propulsion system called Z-Pinch, as the Americans call it. Yeah. We'd call it Z-Pinch. It's, yeah, um, we, we covered that. Yeah, it's a nice bloke. And he, and he, he, he just, I don't know who else Rob sent it to, but he, he, he was sort of intrigued. And he said, oh, right, you know, I'll write a, an enhanced version of it, which he did. And he sent back to me. And I said, oh, right. And, and what he did was he, he put a second-stage rocket into it, and he also added another column that did that, that showed the numbers directly from Tsiolkovsky's equation so that you could see the, the numbers uh, from the iterative approach and the analytical equation were in step and that were, they were pretty close to each other. And he just did that because he was because <coughs> he was interested. Genius, he was yeah. vaguely interested, <laughs> and he's about a thousand percent better mathematician than I am. So he just yeah. he just <laughs> sent it, it, have you got a link to that uh, spreadsheet? Is it's that right? it's on the uh, IFRS website. I suppose Definitely. if you just do a, just do a search on the IFRS website for for Salkovsky and spreadsheet. Oh wow! Uh, get your spelling of Salkovsky from. Uh, from somewhere else. Uh, don't, <laughs> don't, don't try and guess it. It's no, no, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's amazing, guess ama- amazing guy, Sarkovsky. Uh, he was he was just a provincial math teacher somewhere in the back of beyond in in, in Russia in the in the late nineteenth century, and he, yeah. he was he was nuts about space travel, including interstellar actually. Yeah, and he was an extremely good mathematician, obviously. And he, he uh, was it called the aviation equation? I think he even called it. Yeah. And it's one of those things when you look at it, it's, but, but it's, it's obvious. That but it is very depressing, isn't it, the rocket Yeah, equation. it is. It, it yeah, almost, yeah. It's almost like the most depressing thing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, what? <laughs> it's going to cost loads of money. Yes. In fact, it's almost impossible. <laughs> one thing it did show was was that uh, reaction propulsion doesn't doesn't require uh, any atmosphere or a, or a I can remember my father saying back in the back in the fifties when I was just a rockets can't fly in space. There's nothing for them to push against. And I thought. I don't know enough to know to know to contradict that, but I know it's but, wrong. But I know it's wrong because <laughs> I've read books by people like Arthur Clarke and and Patrick Moore, for that matter. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I said, "Ah, oh, no, you're wrong. You're wrong, Dad." And then Sputnik went up, and 
She'd gone case... along the first time my father ever admitted to me that he'd been wrong. <laughs> she to stand on a skateboard and chuck a baseball away or something. Yeah, <laughs> that's one of the one of the, the standard demonstrations. Yeah, I've, yeah. I've used that when I'm, I'm uh, talking to kids about. about but it is, there's proportion. something amazingly counterintuitive, isn't there, about about the about thinking about that second law? And it's only when you demonstrate it to because most most people really don't understand that. The, the lose, you know, pushing something one way and I mean, you go the other, the other way. way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, as soon as you show a picture of some somebody, uh, you know, as you say, standing on a skateboard, holding something heavy, and, and and they're about to throw it, and and you ask, you know, a reasonably bright ten year old, what do you think is going to happen? And they'll get it right. Yeah, because the the idea is in their mind already. Mm. You know, they know that that um, in that circumstance. You'll get a reaction in the other mm. direction, and you know, and they don't know at that age. They don't know the relevant uh, Newton law, but the, but it's there instinctively. What, what I really like is the the fan on a boat on a sailboat, <laughs> and why it won't push. Why you can't oh, use yes. a fan on a sailboat? Yes. That's, yes. that's that's another buy your own bootstraps <laughs> thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's much harder to appreciate um, a, a ball of lead and a ping pong ball if it wasn't for mm. for. Um, uh, air resistance would fall at the same rate from height. Yep. That's that's much less intuitive. That's a, that's a fantastic video, isn't it, that uh, Brian Cox did in in one of the NASA vacuum right. rooms of, yeah. a, of a, some feathers and a, and, a, and some lead yeah. uh, falling at the same rate. I remember I remember really one of the, well, the Apollo astronauts did it on the moon. They had a feather <laughs> and a hammer, I think yeah. it was, and he said, "Here's the demonstration." And he just released the feather and the hammer, and they just both drifted downwards at the same mm. speed. Yeah, and you go, um, ah, yes. yeah, yeah. It's amazing. There is, I think it was a video of it somewhere. But that is that is counterintuitive for, for for most people. Whereas the reaction thing, I think, is you know, I, anybody who's done a remotest yeah. bit of thinking about it will will just sort of instinctively think, "Well, yeah, that's what's going to happen." You know, if you if you chuck something that way, it pushes you that way. You know, it. it it, yeah, but then, it, but then to know that thing. that's what rockets are doing, it is, it, it's like you're really just chucking burning fuel out the back yeah. and, and that's what's pushing you forward. Yes. Yeah, it's, yes. Yes. It's, yeah, it doesn't need to be burning, in fact. No, it's, it's nice yeah. to get it going fast, though, isn't it, I think? It's, yeah, yeah. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> you know, it's, the, it's just the uh, delta V equals exhaust velocity times natural log of mass, ra- mass ratio. I mean, that's... The there nice. we go. There you go, you knew oh, that. This is it. it. Yeah, I was just about to quote it. <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, website, i4is.org. So that's i, digit 4, is.org. And um, if you want to contact us, just email info at i4is.org. So it's the same thing as the web address, but uh, just put info at the front of it. And we'll get back to you. Fabulous. Oh, we'll stick all those links in the, uh, in the description. Okay. And we'll we'll try and link to that spreadsheet as well because that sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah, we'll put that up on the blog. Yeah. Thanks so much for your time. Thank okay. you very much. Thank you. So yeah, there we go. So what did you think of that? Wasn't that fun, Jamie? That interview? Oh, it was amazing, and it's just incredible to be uh, hearing firsthand from someone who's d- doing things that are just blowing blowing our yeah, minds. Yeah, you know, literally taking interstellar travel seriously yeah uh, i'm definitely putting a link to the spreadsheet for the rocket equation because i think that's really Absolutely. really cool um and it's just yeah it's really i think one thing that that uh, i'm really excited about is the amount of educational stuff that they were doing there's some, some really really cool thing cool things yeah no no bye bye everyone thanks for listening thanks for listening guys see you next week see you soon bye